Why do people want to be at work? To feel heard, appreciated, part of something, and to know there's a career path for everyone. Inclusive workplaces are linked to increased innovation, productivity, and employee satisfaction. Make your organization a place where people want to be. For inclusion and diversity training, visit inclusion-program.com.au. Hello and welcome along to a special edition of the World Game Live. It's Monday the 12th of April. I'm your host Lucy Zellich and joining me for the biggest program in the history of TWG Live. It's a very, it is, Stolich, you'd have to say, with the amount of guests that we have coming in, the topics that we're covering, there has been no show bigger than this. Nick Stoll, SBS Sports Journalist, coming to us from SBS HQ. Welcome to you, my friend. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very excited to speak to all our wonderful guests and talk about, obviously, the W League Grand Final that I was at yesterday and the Matildas game against Germany on uh, Saturday night. Plenty to cover off and here to get the show going. We're also delighted to welcome one of our regulars here on TWG Live. It's a very welcome back to women's football expert contributor to ESPN Australia, Optus, the World Game Live and the Guardian Samantha Lewis. Sammy, are you alive and well? Tell us. There's been a lot going on in women's football. Have you survived to tell the tale? I have survived on scraps of sleep and joy and that is exactly what I expected and I'm absolutely thrilled to be here to talk about just the ridiculous stuff that has happened in the last 24 hours because there's been so much and yeah, I'm just, I'm super stoked to be here. Oh, thank you so much for making the time for us and we'll extend that thank you to none other than Sydney FC W League Grand Finalist and player of the game, Jada Wyman. Jada, thank you so much for making the time for us here at PWG Live, for fronting up. We're sure that you're probably still recovering after the, the celebrations, even though it wasn't the result that you were chasing. Tell us, what are the emotions like now in the aftermath? Have you had time to let everything sink in? A little bit, yeah. I guess we had the celebrations also for the fact that we did win the premiership. That was amazing that we got to do that and we had to back up uh, another game a few days later so we didn't get to really celebrate that. So um, it was not today but uh, overall the girls were very happy with their uh, performance this season and still gave it their all in that game yesterday as well. So you can't fault them in that area. You were awarded player of the game because you were absolutely exceptional and I'd venture to say that I don't think that Sydney FC would have ended up in extra time if it wasn't for your heroics throughout the match, which were just incredible. For me, you are the future of Australian football between the sticks. It's been so exciting to see your career go from strength to strength. I repeat this story all the time because when you were working under Foz at the Football Institute, he came to me like a giddy schoolgirl one day when we were due to go on from the Premier League and he said, look at this footage of this goalkeeper. Just have a look at her. We're calling her Manuela Neuer because she is the complete keeper. She's exceptional <laughs> with her feet. She's a great shot stopper. And from that moment on, I fell in love with the Jada Wyman narrative and everything that you've achieved up until this point. But I'm sure that for you, reflecting on last night in that moment, two seconds off from extra time being completed, that totally dangerous corner getting whipped in from Kyra Cooney Cross. There's bodies everywhere. It's absolute chaos. And for you, you get your fingertips to it, but it ends up going in the back of the net. How do you look back on that moment now? And and when you think about it, was there anything that you could have done differently in that moment? Yeah, look, I think any player, they always look 
footage of themselves and maybe a goal has happened or a mistake on the field has happened and you're always looking to see what you you could have done more. You're always thinking you can do more in that moment. Um, and I guess for me, I was a little bit, after I watched the footage back, I think I could have really maybe got a bit of a fist to it and pushed it across and, um, yeah, it was it was a hard one, and like you said, it was a great ball by Kyra, and um, yeah, kudos to her. Like she did, re- she did great throughout the game, and um, yeah, Melbourne victory with a better team, and yeah, they deserved it, so they got it. <laughs> Sammy, over to you. I mean, obviously, we discussed at great length. You've established the fact already that you were a Sky Blues fan. You came on our show on Wednesday wearing your Sky Blues jersey very proudly, and you know, and we had so much to talk about with respect to Sydney FC. The fact that they had been the best team all season, which was why they were crowned the premiers. They came into those final games and final stages of the season in choppy form, but they were absolutely emphatic in the final series. We didn't know which way it was going to go, but a lot of us actually did believe that Sydney FC were going to be the dominant ones in this, but it was the victory that showed their dominance in that match. How did you see it play out and what were your overall observations of the game? Yeah, I mean, what was so exciting about it is that opinion was really divided about who would actually take it out. And that's, I think, such a testament to the W League more generally this season, especially considering its circumstances and its context. Like, no one knew what was going to happen this season after everything with coronavirus, everything with the Matildas going overseas. No one actually knew what this season would look like. But what we've had and what I wrote about in my columns in the very early hours of this morning was that this game really encapsulated the entire season. We had young players like Jada, like Kyra, stepping up in those huge moments. We had veterans like Teresa Polias and Lisa Devanna and Amy Jackson and giving absolutely everything on the pitch, making sure that their teams continued to work to their possible best to try and get a result over 120 minutes. It's the first time in any final series in the W League that has gone to extra time. And it feels like it was such an appropriate game and such an appropriate season for that to happen, especially considering the Victory Vikings, the uh, the Melbourne Victory travelling fan group, had a banner saying "Extend the season" that was hung uh, at the back of the one of the uh, one of the bays. And the, I, you know the players have talked about it all season, so they were just like, you know what, let's just extend this as far as we possibly can, just in this <laughs> single game, to the last possible second. Um, but yeah, like I, I was up in the media box. Uh, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say I'm a Sydney FC fan. I was devastated when that ball went in the net, but that devastation very quickly was overtaken by absolute joy because what an amazing advertisement for this competition that moment was and this game was. All the fans, all the narratives that all sort of came together in that single moment, it was just sensational. It's a game that will live on in my memory and I think the memories of a lot of people for a really long time. So well said, Sammy. Stolage for you, from your perspective, both yourself and your girlfriend Freya went to the game, uh, freezing conditions, but, you know, that I think, as you put it aptly before we went to air, said, um, you know, any times I've ever said that we need to move football to winter, I take all of them back. Uh, <laughs> but tell us um, how you saw the game and, um, and, and what your particular reaction was in that moment because you raised some interesting questions around whether or not that corner should have been awarded in the first place. Yeah, well, I think we saw that um, Sydney FC fans or Sydney FC players were furious that the corner had been awarded. It's one of those tough ones. We'll play the clip uh, probably a bit later on. But basically, you know, the, the 
player tries to clear it, the foot gets in, you know, it doesn't take a ricochet. The corner was awarded. Um, and then I even thought there was possibly a foul on Jada, a little one on McLean. It would have been a huge call to give. We'll kind of go through the footage again later. But I thought you, the referee could have uh, given a foul. Obviously, there's no VAR in the W League, which probably makes a lot of people happy uh, given how unpopular the VAR is. But you mm. do wonder, would the corner have been given in the first place had you been using video technology? Would the would the goal have been ruled out? Who knows? Uh, it was a fantastic day um, apart from, uh, you know, it wasn't as cold as my poor choice of clothing. Uh, that's what I should say. I, I'm all for Windsor football. I just need to bring a better jacket to the game. But it was a really good atmosphere. Um, there was a lot of young families in the crowd, um, you know, a lot of young girls, which is I think is really good because they get to see, you know, they're, I, I was talking to people in the crowd and they were saying, yeah, my daughter's playing like, you know, in a team or whatever. And now they get to see, look, this is, you can take it this far and further. You can obviously take it to a World Cup and an Olympics. But here in Australia, you know, 5,000 people will turn up and watch the grand final and probably more in the future, as I imagine this league is going to grow over the season. But it was just a really nice atmosphere. Um, you know, it was a sensational, dramatic uh, game. Uh, you know, thanks mainly to Jardis doing some incredible uh, saves and an incredible celebration when you did the double save uh, towards the end. That was a fantastic moment uh, during the game. But, yeah, we I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a really nice day. It was a really nice day for football in this country um, just to kind of celebrate uh, what we're all about. And, yeah, it was a, a really, you know, it was it was tough to see you, Jada, at the end, you know, so devastated, understandably so, after having such a good game. Uh, and then to, you know, in the 120th minute to kind of be denied that. Because you could have been also the hero in the shootout. I think that's kind of where the game was uh, heading towards. But I, I got to say, I think it was well-deserved your player of the match. Thank you. Yeah, it was a difficult game, obviously. But like you said, it was just a fab, it was a fantastic night for football in Australia. And what actually put a smile on my face at the end of the game was also being able to see all the young girls that were on the fence wanting signatures and just photos and things like that. They were just so happy, still in the moment, and just enjoying the environment of football and what it all brings together as a big community. And um, yeah, it was just it was great to see that kind of stuff and all the families out there as well to support each other. Um, that that really warmed my heart at the end of the game. And that genuinely, as Sam rightfully pointed out as well earlier, has been the real narrative of this particular season. And I guess there are a lot of synergies between the A-League season in the way that we're all talking about the young players that have emerged through this COVID kind of period that we're all talking about that are driving results in games, that are driving headlines. And that's been perhaps the most exciting thing to see because it adds fresh and new perspective. We've got a comment coming through via Facebook uh, from Wally Van Gool. Good afternoon to you, Wally. Great to have your company, mate, for our special edition TWG Live. Show. He said, having the absolute pleasure watching Jada grow as a footballer for many years. So happy and proud to see her win the award after the match and deserves every acknowledgement of her feats. Jada, tell us, what is next for you? We know that you've had this really successful stint with Sydney FC, that you're very happy with this football club. But when you think about what your long-term ambitions are, do they lie with a football club overseas? Obviously, we, you and I have spoken in the past before we've said Matildas are your ambition, but what are the real things that you're gunning for? Yeah, um, well, having like two years off with my injury really put things into perspective for me. I got the opportunity to see what else was outside of my football life. And um, so I started uni. Um, I got a job already foundation uh, and things like that really see put pers things in perspective for me for football in the fact that football is an enjoyment now. It's not just a it's it's not a chore or anything like that, as it can come sometimes come about like that when you're just in the rhythm all the time of it. Um, so I guess I, I'm not sure where I 
my uh, goals lead. I was just mostly wanting to get through a whole season for W League and now I've done that and I just want to continue to um, grow a little bit more through the NPL season with Sydney Olympic. Um, but yes, uh, I think yeah, in the near future, maybe I would love to start looking overseas and um, seeing uh, uh, what what's out there and hopefully get some exposure to some higher level of football and um, obviously it's always a goal to be in the Matildas um, and yeah hopefully I get that chance at some time but yeah just enjoying football at the moment for me. <laughs> so good to hear that you're enjoying it because we enjoy watching you. Juggles Football Culture one of our regular viewers here and uh, sponsors actually we've loved wearing your gear when you've sent us some your way. Thank you so much she says Jada you are an absolute legend we couldn't agree more. Um, what were the sentiments and the messages from Auntie Juric post the game? Obviously, the girls would have been so bitterly disappointed with the outcome of things given the season that you had. But what did he say to you guys specifically in the dressing room once things were over? Yeah, look, he was uh, he was uh, pretty upset himself. We were all pretty devastated, and but um, he couldn't fold our uh, efforts throughout the season. We did everything that he asked, and. Um, he actually didn't actually get the chance to really give, have a chat to us. I think um, we were all all in our own minds. I think, but um, this, the things that he said to us before we even went out in the pitch was that he couldn't have folded us throughout the season and um, the mission that he set out for us. We did it to get the premiership, and unfortunately, like the grand final, we came short a little bit of that. But um, I think he's just very proud of the fact that he's got a young squad and he got the mm -hmm. opportunity to. Um, lead us all to a grand final for a, some of us for our first grand finals and some of who are experienced in this area. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> very, very cool. And he said the the absolute bang on thing there, talking about the fact that you guys are such a young squad. Um, that was, again, such an amazing feat for the Sydney FC side to achieve everything that they did this season. Melissa Hallwood via Facebook, good afternoon to you. She says, as a fellow keeper, you put in an amazing effort, Jada, 100% player of the game. Couldn't agree more. Stolich, we spoke a lot about how devastated the team must have been and how tough it would have potentially been on Jada as well after the match that she had. But you know what? What we loved was that she didn't take things too seriously when it came to the celebrations because she got up and ready to boogie on the dance floor and this is what we thought. Can we play the clip, please? Yes, we absolutely can. And I'll just warn a few people, just maybe turn down your volume slightly, especially if you're listening at work or something like that. But here is... <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Seriously, the knees felt that the next day. I'm not going to lie. The knees felt <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Katie, bye you by Facebook, Jada. You are fantastic to watch and have a bright future ahead of you. Everybody pouring out the love for you, Jada. Um, you know, in spite of the result, we all have to say a big congratulations to you on the season that was, on the performance that you had, on the season that you in particular had. Um, we thank you so much for making the time for us, particularly in the aftermath of the celebrations and the game last night. We wish you all the very best. We can't wait to see where your football career takes you and we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Go and get some rest, hey? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. It was an absolute pleasure. Oh, good on you, Jada Wyman, the future of Australian football. Sammy, a final word on Jada before we welcome our next special guest, please, because she's, as I said earlier, for me in particular, a real star and someone to really watch for the future. She's the future of the Australian game between the sticks for us. Yeah, absolutely. And 
I, you know, I don't think that we can ignore the fact that Jada is also a First Nations woman. And one of the things that really affected me at the start of the game was the welcome to country that was presented. Um, the, the woman who, who spoke it talked about, you know, celebrating women and celebrating all the women of the community that, um, that help us to get to where we are. So she didn't just acknowledge the players, she acknowledged the staff, the referees, the mums, the sisters, the aunties, the friends, all the women who are part of women's football more generally. And I think that was such a lovely connection with Jada as well. And Jada stepping into the shoes of someone like Lydia Williams, again, mm. a really pioneering uh, Aboriginal goalkeeper for Australia. So there's a really lovely narrative sort of going from, from Lydia down to Jada and from Jada to a whole other generation of, you would hope, more First Nations women footballers who are going to come through in the next few years. Because there's so much talent there, and I loved hearing that she's also working closely with the John Moriarty Football Foundation, who are doing a lot at the grassroots level across these regional communities to promote football, to spread the gospel, pardon me, and to encourage more young Indigenous youths to play the game because they're so damn talented. Um, and to know that they're potentially being missed or not being afforded those opportunities, well, that's where the John Moriarty Football Foundation have stepped in with the aid of the government as well to make sure that these kids aren't being missed so that we can see them as the future of Australian football. All right, it's time now to welcome our next special guest to the program. I've been a fan of both of these women for a very, very long time. I've never made any secret of that. They're both respectfully, in their own respective fields, hugely talented at what they do, Welcome to the program, ESPN Australia and W League commentator Stephanie Brands and former Matilda star Joey Peters to the program. Welcome, ladies. Oh, my gosh. You know, I said at the top of the show, this is our biggest TWG live that we've had yet and I think it's probably some of the biggest guests that we've had because it's so great to see this calibre of women. And I know, Stol, that you're feeling slightly outnumbered today because you're surrounded by a host of women, but what better way to be surrounded by women than these hugely talented ones in their respective fields? Steph Brands. So I want to come to you first and say welcome to the program. You have been exceptional as a W League commentator. I mean, your transition into that field, I did co-commentary many, many years ago, and it is a true art and a field that I would never dare tip my toe into again because it is, it's a real skill and it's one that you've mastered so well. But I have to tell you, congratulations. I mean, I texted you last night to say congratulations on the fabulous W League season that you've had. But have you had the opportunity now to recover? Because I'm sure you would have had some celebrations yourself, but also to digress and then reflect on the result that was. Uh, Lucy, thank you very much for your kind words. Hi to Sam, Nick and Joey. Lovely to see you all and uh, a pleasure to be uh, on your program, Lucy. Uh, what a season it was. And and again, thank you for saying such nice things about uh, commentary. You're right. It's such a, a difficult art and I am uh, I've by no means uh, done that yet. It was really difficult. I was first offered the opportunity by uh, Murray Shaw back at, at Fox Sports and he said it's time that we had female commentators. And it was really nerve-wracking because at the end of 90 minutes or in last night's case 120 minutes, you sometimes have in the back of your mind that the only thing that's going to replay, be replayed is what you say in a controversial moment or in a goal scoring opportunity. And that can be quite nerve-wracking because you want to find the same words. And I think that comes with experience. And we've got a lot of commentators in Australia that do that so beautifully. So definitely still a learning curve, but uh, what a way to learn it in the Westfield W League. It's been extraordinary this season. For all those naysayers that said, oh, the, the superstars are going overseas and we won't have an opportunity uh, to see them. It's going to be a second-tier competition. Well, they were proved wrong. Everyone stepped up. The the older legs, if you like to call them that, they were extraordinary. And the young talent coming through gives us all such incredible hope for the future of women's football. 
Oh, really well said, Steph. And I think, as I said earlier, you've taken to this uh, this role as a commentator masterfully and it's been fantastic to see also. I have to congratulate and commend the ABC on choosing to put two female commentators in the box last night for the coverage, which is hugely important. I want to come across to you now, Joey Peters. Great to see you, Joe. How the bloody hell are you? Almost, mate. It's always good to catch up with you. But tell us, you know, how are you firstly? And then also your reflections on the game last night. Thanks, Champions. Great to be back here, Todd. What a weekend for women's football. Uh, I've got my GPL shirt on. I'm celebrating uh, all things sport and, and yeah, just so proud of, you know, firstly the W League. Like you said, uh, it, there was big question marks. How is it going to be with our stars overseas? And it's proved it's worth yet again. The dub, as we love to call it. Um, <laughs> it's not disappointing with that, the grand final. Usually grand finals are a cagey affair, aren't they? Not, not. In women's football, we don't know what that's about. Um, the, the, the players just absolutely going for it. And well, wasn't it interesting too that we had the Matildas and then the W League? And uh, I mean, I can't wait to talk about these Matildas and, and this new uh, transition we're going through, this new period with Tony Stuff and then heading up to our home World Cup. I mean, uh, sorry, I'm just getting overwhelmed already with excitement. Um, so, what was your question, Luce? <laughs> no, your reflections on the game. I mean, and you kind of answered it there because you said a lot of the times we expect these uh, grand finals to traditionally be KG affairs, but for you it was quite the opposite of that. Um, and we know that victory, I mean, coming into the game, a lot of hype was around Sydney FC, but equally Melbourne victory too and the game that they had played out in that premiership deciding match, which for me, again, I, I, I'd have to say it was probably one of the most exciting contests uh, because to be able to see what both of these sides could do across the season was really interesting, particularly with the victory, who for me, um, I wasn't thinking about them all that much. A lot of the hype was around for the majority of the W League season around Sydney FC. And then I, of course, biasly, very fondly looking at what Canberra United were doing. But then to see Adelaide United slip out for me in the most devastating of fashions, I think that was heartbreaking too. But then Melbourne victory, I think for us to be in this situation, the question that we're asking um, on the basis of this, and, and of course, I have to say very well, late welcome to everyone tuning in today on this uh, TWG Live special edition. But the question that we're asking is, were the victory deserved champions? And we'll go around the room here, but, Joe, first to you, what did you think? Did they deserve to be crowned the champions after the season that was and the performance in the grand final? Oh, yeah, I think definitely so, especially that grand final match. It was the most exciting nil-all draw that you, you would see, isn't it? And, and the amount of chances that they had to be able to dominate Sydney FC at home for Sydney, um, and it was interesting that um, Jeff Hopkins mentioned how close the emotional bond of this group was. He hadn't seen it before, and we know the success that Jeff had previously. So just to touch on that, that chemistry, the cohesion of a team for me, again, highlights this importance. But when a, a team is connected, um, then, then they really can go on and do big things, which I think Melbourne Victory did. And, you know, yes, the eyes were on... Uh, Sydney FC and, and how well Brisbane Roar had done through the season. Um, but I think in the end, Melbourne Victory definitely showed their worth and, and they had special players. They had great defenders. They had it all in the end and I think very deserving winners. Sam, over to you. If they were, in your mind, deserved champions, why? And if they weren't, why not? That's a good question. I mean, Joey summarised it, I think, really beautifully. They they have a culture, they have an environment that has been built there, which 
it, you can see it the way that they play. You can see the way that they celebrate each other's goals. You can see the way that they continue to pump each other up. And what I loved was right towards the end of the game, after Melbourne Victory had scored, you saw Angie Beard, who was in her first season as captain, still telling her teammates what to do, still shouting across the field to Mindy Barbieri to move further out wide. They just have this mentality about them which has made them really sort of indestructible and the fact that they went on a run of I think seven straight uh, wins or seven straight like non-losses across the Mm -hmm. season that was a club record for them and then coming into this final series they demolished Brisbane Raw and you know if it wasn't for the heroics of Jada Wyman in goal, I don't, I, I don't think it would have gone to 120 minutes. I think victory created so many opportunities that, you know, they, they, the ball just didn't want to go in the net because Jada was there. She was the great wall of Jada. And, you know, the, the we saw, you know, a lot of the, the sort of the big name players, the, those big like Kyra, like Lisa Devanna, stepping up mm-hmm. and really trying to make things happen. Both of them hit the crossbar in the first half. Everything just sort of turned to chaos towards the back end of the second. Um, I think it was really only a matter of time that this Melbourne victory side eventually won the title. Um, and it just so happened to be in the last possible moments of the game, which is, you know, as I said earlier, it's a great advertisement for the league because it got it had everyone on the edge of their seats right until the last possible moment. Steph, I have to ask you, given that you've been calling on the W League now for a number of years, this, of course, was the second title that Victory claimed since 2014, but what was specifically different about this Melbourne Victory side and, indeed, the overall season? Yeah, I think, in fact, Sam mentioned uh, the crossbar. I think that was the 23rd player on the field uh, yesterday. That was just extraordinary. How, what a work, work out the woodwork. <laughs> I, I had to select uh, last week my team of the season, which I've got to say this season was one of the most difficult uh, I can recall doing. And as I was uh, putting it out, and I didn't end up going with all four of them, but that Melbourne victory backline has kept them in yeah. the game uh, week after week after week. And I called the ABC match of the round, which is obviously a simulcast on Fox Sport as well on a Sunday afternoon. And I think I've had five Melbourne victory games this season. And in each one, they have been so defensively cohesive. And as we mentioned, that culture that Jeff Hopkins uh, has built, I think he's an extraordinary coach. He's he's just done such a good job with, with Brisbane Raw initially and now with Melbourne Victory. Uh, he just brings them together as a unit. Uh, Angie Beard as captain uh, certainly marshals that team superbly. And with all respect to Sydney FC, I thought Melbourne Victory came into this with momentum. And then when you add in the spice that they've got up top, Kyra Cooney-Cross was, for me, one of the players of the season. And, and we've seen her running around for four or five years now, but this season she just excelled and physically she's matured uh, her football IQ has developed exponentially and she's been completely extraordinary then when you add in an x-factor like Elisa Devanna yeah she might be 36 years old but she can run with the best of them it, it was amazing to see not just uh, how much pace she could turn on but the fact that a player who's normally substituted somewhere around the 60 70 minute mark ran for 120 minutes and created so many opportunities. Uh, I desperately feel for Sydney FC. Of course, in this league, we we have the issue that we're personally connected to so many of the players across the league. So we, we hurt for all of them, uh, but you can't deny that, that Melbourne victory could have, if not for J- uh, Jada Wyman, been up four or five goals in that match. 
Mm, very well said. Joe Peters, over to you. I want to talk tactics. And we know that traditionally coming into this match, we spoke about the strength of both these sides and that they like to play very strong attacking-minded football. But Sydney FC, they were largely underwhelming. Why? Look, as Steph just mentioned, uh, Luz, the, the, the way that Melbourne Victory were able to defend and suffocate uh, Sydney FC. I don't think they were used. They've been used to that that much in the season. Um, they were still able to play a lot of their small uh, passes, but I think, and, and we just see Courtney Vine on screen there. They were largely missing her X factor of being able to actually get in behind the line with her speed. Uh, Princess Abini wasn't able to be as effective as usual, and you know, essentially. You, the, the dominance that Victory actually had with the ball isn't, again, usual for Sydney FC to deal with. They're used to having a lot of the ball. So they were able to to play some still some good football. And I've loved seeing Claire Wheeler in the midfield. Um, the amount of work that she gets through is unbelievable. Uh, but, yeah, the, I think combining with uh, this Courtney Vine being off and, you know, Princess Abini maybe a little bit off, not being able to get in behind them as much as they usually would, I think it played into the victory's hands and they, they loved having this possession and they were then able to get in behind uh, with their front runners. Yeah, Lisa Devana, I, I can't believe she's still at the top of her game, um, just doing the old girls proud, Lisa. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, Sammy, we talk about old girls, but for goodness sake, I mean, she's showing no signs of slowing down. At age 36, this woman still has so much to give on the football field, whether that's actually as a footballer or in terms of her leadership and the presence that she offers amongst this squad. How much more juice can we get out of this girl, right? How much more can you see her offering Australian football? I mean, she, one of the things that I loved about Lisa Devanna this season and what I mentioned earlier about this Melbourne Victory team is that they just play with so much joy. And in the sort of the post-match interview, Lisa said that this was one of the most enjoyable seasons that she's had in the W League because she just feels like she is part of this team and she's so heavily valued and she's really stepped into that kind of leadership and mentoring role as well, which she has really relished. And in terms of her sort of endurance, she can probably go on for as long as she chooses to. She is that kind of professional player who has this deep drive and this deep passion for football that she will find any possible way to be the best. She is an absolute winner. She has been a winner for her entire career. We know this. And, you know, Jeff said after the match that he is going to try and talk to Lisa to get her to sign another contract for Melbourne Victory next season. I don't know what her plans are personally. Perhaps we can ask mm -hmm. her a little bit later on the show. Um, but, you know, she is just an enduring sort of force in the W League and in Australian women's football. So for, I guess, the, this generation coming through, I hope that she stays around regardless of if she's on the field or not. Mm. Stolich, for you, as we've discussed earlier on the show, you were at the match, you got to experience mm. the atmosphere, and we've spoken a lot about Jada Wyman, the heroics also of Lisa Devana. But who else caught your eye? Well, it's got to be said, Cooney Cross. I mean, we've already talked about it, but I thought Sam Lewis put it really well. It was funny seeing that clip of her being interviewed um, at the end of the game. And then you kind of, you actually realized how young she was, you know, because she had kind of these massive headphones on and, you know, she might have been a bit nervous doing the interview. 
But on the field, when you're watching it, this, this looks like a player who's been playing for 10 years at the top level. So calm on the ball. So smart at picking the right pass all the time. The combination with Devanna, someone someone senior, looked like players who've been playing together for a long time. Uh, I really liked what Juggles Football Culture actually said in the comments. All we wanted was a Devanna Cooney cross combo uh, for the goal. Devanna fought hard for the corner, which turned into another corner, which turned into the goal. And when Devanna missed that goal moment, we knew the baton was p- being handed to Kyra. So, yeah, it really was a special uh, performance. Uh, she really did kind of come of age uh, in this game. And I kind of wanted to ask you, uh, Sam and Steph and Joey, how far do you think she can go? We know that now, you know, Sam Kerr is a household name, not just in football, but in Australian sport, you know. Um, Ellie Carpenter is on that path as well. I think she's going to be there probably in the next year or so. Um, you know, is Cooney Cross the next kind of big name in Australian football, do you think? Let's start with you, Sam. Yeah, 100%. And uh, the reason for that is because every question, every time you ask someone in football that question, they all say the same thing, which is yes. You know, I watched Kyra Cooney Cross the same way that I watched Sam Kerr before she became Sam Kerr. You watch the way that she moves on the field, the way that she makes decisions, her technique on the ball, her physicality, and you're like, this this player is something something else. She is a cut above the rest. And when I asked Jeff Hopkins in the post-match interview what he thought of Kyra, because he had been quite reserved over the course of this season in terms of not trying to overhype her, not trying to put too much pressure on her very young shoulders. But after that moment, after she proved that she was a big game player, he said she is the biggest talent in Australian football, not just in women's football, in Australian football. And I think a lot of us after this game in particular and after the season that she's had will probably agree. So if she doesn't find a way to move to at least Europe to a huge club over the next couple of years leading into the Women's World Cup, I will be really shocked. Joe, I'm hearing some interesting rumours and it's that Kyra actually doesn't want to go overseas. Now, I don't know how much weight you want to give those rumours, Steph. You're nodding your head. It would be great to get your perspective after Joey. But, Joe, what do you think about that? And what could be some possible motivations behind her not wanting to go, given the trajectory that her career is at at the moment? She's still being so young. She's got to be careful, especially over the next few years. We see... um, at about 18, 19 players, even go to the US for scholarships. And they have, it's a wonderful system, the, the few years where they get to look after themselves where they're still growing as a person, particularly physically. So it's a really crucial time. Uh, we've seen players go over quickly in the men's game as well, and it hasn't necessarily worked out. So, and we did, uh, Love Stolich mentioned it, it was, yeah, after the game, you do see how young she is. I mean, even though she plays like a veteran. So it really is an important couple of years for her to still be nurtured and to still not have huge, huge pressure on her, um, especially as that body is still developing because there's no doubt, um, as everyone's talking about, that, that the future looks bright for her. But these next few years, I'd love to see a little bit of a cotton wool around her just to make sure she nurtures herself. And, and it sounds like that's the way that she's not being, oh, yeah, off I've go. I've got to go over there. Um, I, I love hearing that she's still quite hesitant in making, you know, those decisions at this time. 
Steph, you were nodding your head when I was revealing that bit of mail. Um, what do you know and do you agree with Joe? Would you like to see her stick around in the W League for a little bit longer to gain further development? I mean, you spoke so beautifully and eloquently when you said that, you know, her football IQ has increased. She is a footballer, has evolved and developed so much. We've been watching her for years, but she really seems to have achieved uh, and so much now and has really arrived at her peak. But what do you know about it and why do you think it might be a good idea for her to hang around? I can't reveal who told me, Lucy, but Kyra definitely was not keen to go to Europe. Now, there's probably a number of elements at play there in that uh, Europe is a difficult place given the COVID-19 pandemic. But I think we also need to remember that she will have heard perhaps the stories from those that didn't have the greatest experience overseas, uh, players like Jenna McCormick or Emma Checker, who've, who've spoken about how difficult it can be and uh, how nurturing it is back home to be amongst people here in the W League. And I think for a player that's not completely certain that they want to go, uh, they're wisest to stick, uh, not so much in their comfort zone from a football perspective, but certainly where they've got that support around them. Uh, also, it's it's worth remembering that when you go to a big club in Europe, uh, you go from being a, a big fish in a relatively small pond here to someone that's just in the mix. And uh, I spoke to Sam Kerr for ESPN uh, about a week and a half ago, and she even indicated how tough she found it when she moved to England. And Sam's travelled all over the world, but she found it really difficult to settle in a new place, uh, setting up an apartment on your own. And, you know, Sam's heading towards mid-20s and, and Kyra's so young still. So I think if she wants to take that time and settle here and go when she's ready, then I think that's, that's probably a good move for her. Joey very much in the, the college system, which uh, I've thought for years is a wonderful development system for footballers. And there they are put into a scholarship program. Uh, they normally live on residence in the university. So it's a kind of stepping stone. And we've seen what that has done for the US women's national team. Uh, and I think that's uh, probably a good uh, halfway house option. Uh, however, the moves between borders and, you know, COVID's thrown everything into a whole different perspective. So you've got to be really sure that you want to make that move. And well, well done uh, to Kyra for, for sticking to her guns and, and just the things she's done this season. And I hope she finds really strong off-season football, uh, but she's been extraordinary. And I can only see that just the, the trajectory looks like it's only going up. Mm, it's great perspective to add because for a lot of us we think about with respect to football that if you are striking while the iron is hot, it's time to go, right? Get them overseas. It doesn't matter how young they are. They'll get into these environments. It'll it'll really nurture them and, and you know, further enhance their development as footballers. But that's not always the way that it goes. Steph, um, I want to stick with you because we're about to say goodbye to you shortly, which I, I'm really hesitant to say because you've been fantastic and I promise you we've got to get you back on this bloody program. But reflections on the 2020-21 season. Uh, what did we learn and where do we need to improve? Already our minds start racing and we know that we want an extended season, we want to see expansion, um, we want to see so many more different things added to this already, you know, potentially fruitful competition. Um, but where do we start and what did we learn from this particular season? Uh, we learnt that uh, if you're good enough, you're old enough. Uh, we learned that, as you mentioned, the season is just way too short. Uh, a minimum of a home and away season is essential. If we expand, we need to make sure that we maintain quality football. And while there's a lot of stars coming through, we don't want to 
sort of dilute uh, what we've got in this competition. Uh, but we learnt that women's football here is a fantastic product. It's worth promoting and uh, it's worth supporting and, uh, yeah, hopefully lots of eyeballs and, and bums on seats because I've got to say that apart from the season being a little bit too short, the one thing that did disappoint me uh, was some of the crowd figures. We had some brilliant crowd figures and we had some truly woeful ones. Uh, I think it was uh, Melbourne Victory playing for their season. They were in fifth spot. We were down at uh, Epping Stadium. I was calling with Emma Checker. And I just turned to look at her and said, where is everyone? There must have been a handful of people there. And it was such an important game for victory. I don't know whether the uh, the perhaps the, the ennui with their men's team had trickled over to the to the women's team, but they're women were stars and they deserved that support. So I'd just like to see uh, all these people who talk a good game about women's football turning up and 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 watching it, supporting it. And well, it's only gonna go up, it can't go backwards. We've got a World Cup coming up. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we're building towards, Sammy, and in tandem with that, we want to see strong women's football coverage. Now, I know it's a bit of a, a, you know, a tricky and a delicate subject, particularly for those of us in broadcast to have to make comment on, but we either need to see very, very vast improvements with the Fox Sports coverage, or we need to see another broadcaster take the reins and and give it the due respect that it deserves. Yeah, 100%. And one of the things that I didn't realise because I was at the game last night was that one of the Fox Sports channels that the W League final was being broadcast on cut out during Angie Beard's acceptance speech after they won the game. And it flicked to an ad and I think went to an A-League regular season game. Like those are the kinds of priorities that need to shift when it comes to these decision makers in broadcasting, in other media organisations, including the ones that we all work for when it comes to, you know, promoting this league properly. Because as we've seen from this season, it's not the players or the product that's the problem. It's the ability for the people around it, the people in control of the product, to market it the way that it needs to be marketed. And we talked about this when Adelaide United Mm -hmm. uh, broke the regular season attendance record. That club this season has done a really good job in promoting their women's team basically to the same extent as their men's team. And they're starting to see the fruits of that already in the space of a single season. They've already broken that historic record. So we know, like, it's there. Like, there's proof. That's that's what happens when you give a crap. That's what happens when you try hard to promote this competition the way that it should be promoted. It works. You attract fans. You get people watching. You get people getting their bums on seats. Like it's not it's not rocket science. That's just what happens. And so the people now in charge of the league, now that it's unbundled, now that it's the club owners and the CEOs and all the people in charge of all the media organisations who are largely going to be responsible for this league flourishing, they need to look at this season and look at the stories and look at the way in which clubs like Adelaide have done this and been like, all right, this needs to be the standard now. We need to start to raise the waterline and raise the expectations across the board because this is, it's, a, it's everyone is in this together. We're only as strong as our weakest member. We need to make sure that every club comes to the table when it comes to marketing, to broadcasting, to everything that is involved in rising, raising the profile of women's football because in two and a half years, when the Women's World Cup comes, there is going to be the most incredible influx of interest in this league. We need to make sure that we are living up to those kinds of standards, those kinds of expectations in order to really capitalise on what is going to happen in the wake of that tournament. Lucy, can I just jump in there for one sec? Sure, I'm very, um, 
impressed with Sam using the word unbundling when you're sitting just in the next screen because I know how much you love that word. <laughs> but something I'm just Sam over it. I'm over it. Be unbundled already. Get divorced and move on with your lives. <laughs> something Sam mentioned there was about Adelaide United. Uh, the other thing they did this season, and, and Joey would uh, probably appreciate how, how key this was, is they invested in their women's team. And that happened hadn't happened for a long time in, in South Australia that their, their top-tier women got that attention. But they got a head of women's football. Okay. They put investment into the women's game and you saw the standard, not just the interest in their women, but the standard of their play uh, just skyrocket. And uh, you can argue with me, but I actually put Charlie Grant uh, in as right back and Matilda McNamara in my back line for team of the season because we didn't see them play finals football and maybe people miss them during the season, but they are stars of the future as well. And they've come through that Football Federation South Australia. What is it? For Fassar? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but they've come through that being recognised. They step onto the national stage and there's money behind it. They're getting the support. And I think that's also been really key. Absolutely. Victory 19611 via Twitter. Good afternoon to you, mate. Great to have your company. We've seen you pop up on our TWG Live program regularly, so it's great to see you again. He said marketing is something, or she, we don't know, marketing is something that both A-League and W-Leagues have been lacking since day one, and that's again reflected in the comments that you've made there, Sam, also echoed by you uh, in that respect, Steph. We need to see more dedication, more attention given, and you'll start to see the fruits of that labour prosper, and you'll be able to really enjoy the benefits benefits um, that you'll be able to reap from that. S Steph, you've been absolutely fantastic. As I said before, so hesitant to say goodbye to you. You're so wonderful. Congratulations on the season that was. You are really a class above the rest when it comes to commentary and not just because you are a woman. You are a trailblazer. You've done wonderful things for Australian football thus far. A great contributor and we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Well done and thank you for your time here today on TWG Live. Lucy, thank you so much for having me and uh, not sure I can live up to all those words, but thank you very much indeed. Of course, love the work of, of everyone here on this screen and all the best for the Westfield Matildas in the early hours of Wednesday morning. It's going to be another cracking match. And I just want to tell everyone that's watching, forget about the result. Look at the development of the plays and remember who they're playing against. These guys are playing uh, Euros qualifiers and things like that. They're getting together regularly and they're at the top of their games now. We're starting from a different standpoint and uh, we're going to be great. So just forgive them for a couple of results at this point in time. <laughs> <laughs> really well said because that's where our next topic of conversation is going to go shortly. But thanks so much, Steph. We'll catch up with you again soon. Yeah, great to have Steph Brands there, such a leader. Uh, I want to move on shortly uh, to our next guest once she gets set up and ready to go. But the Matildas, of course, is a red-hot talking point. Stolich, I want to come to you. Uh, Steph said something really interesting there, and she pretty much reflected your exact sentiments when we were previewing the game with Sam earlier in the week in which she said, let's not put too much on the result. Irrespective of the way that this goes, they're going through an important phase at the moment. They're under the guidance of a new coach. The team haven't been together in well over a year. We need to give them time. But how did you react to that result? It certainly wasn't all that surprising, but did you expect it to be that big? I didn't really have any expectations going into the game. It could it could have been anything. We could have you know maybe pulled off a bit of a shock and, and got a victory, or because we I didn't exactly know what Germany was going to be able to bring to the table. You never know when teams have kind of been out for 
this long and, and injuries and all that kind of thing can can have an impact. New coach. I mean, Joey, you could tell us, you know, how much a team will change when a new coach comes in and how it can just be even difficult to get used to their instructions or their terminology or something like that. So I think let's just give him time. It's going to be really interesting to see how he changes the lineup for the game against the Netherlands. And that will give us an indication of his initial thoughts, his initial assessment uh, on the game. So I'm really looking forward to that. But yeah, I think it is important, you know, in international football, it's always about tournaments. It's always about building to those tournaments. So whether it's the Olympics, whether it's the World Cup, friendly should always be used, whether to experiment, to create team cohesion uh, and all that. And I, and I was glad to see some experiments, including, you know, Mary Fowler in midfield. That was an interesting one. Uh, she played as a striker with Adelaide United. I haven't, I mean, I've been seeing her, you know, a little bit with Montpellier, but I've just been seeing her score goals. I, I didn't know exactly kind of what position she's been used in there. Very interesting to see her in midfield and doing quite well. We talk about, you know, another young up-and-coming player. We talk about, you know, Kyra Cooney-Cross. And I wanted to pose the question uh, maybe to you guys later in the show. We can talk about it. But did the Olympico goal mean that Kyra Cooney-Cross might be going to the Olympics? <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with you, Joe. In terms of Kyra. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Do you think? Do you think she? Because this is the thing. We, and this is the other thing to keep in mind: is the Matilda squad was obviously all European based because of COVID and, and border restrictions and all that. But do you think you know she'll be able to make the step up to that Matilda's in a, such a short space of time going into the Olympics? Yeah, that that's that's the main uh, deal, isn't it? How quickly can players adapt to the international level? It's very difficult for a young player who hasn't had international experience to be able to go into a huge tournament like that. And what I've liked about hearing from uh, Tony Gustafsson is, is that he's very mindful of where players are at in their career. He, you know, he, he knows that, you know, you're at the peak uh, at, you know, the late end of your 20s. And, and even now we're seeing players going on into their 30s and they're just getting better and better. It's such a mature uh, women's game now that someone like Cooney Cross, we can get excited, but I think in Australia we get a little bit too excited with the youngsters. Mm -hmm. um, you know, having said that, we'll, we will get a good look at her, I feel like. It's been interesting having the, the overseas contingent, isn't it? And then when we come back home, you'll get a good look at, um, at the locals that have performed really well as well. And she'll be in that mix, no doubt. And so we'll see her. You never know. It might She might be like a Mary Fowler, just takes to the, takes to the ground, no worries at all, and just does the business and might be a, a, a late uh, a late bloomer there. But, you know, the, the players that we already have in that midfield position and, and when we get talking about this game, the players that we have to play against, you know, in Germany uh, was just their next level next out of this world. So the midfield positions become really, really key. Um, but, you know, like, uh, you know, Cooney Cross played amazing in a grand final and she was still very young. So... You know, we've just seen that she's hungry, obviously, for the for more challenges and, and could well do. Mm. Sam, I want to come to you. It wasn't our ideal or first choice starting 11. I mean, it was great, as Joe mentioned there, to see the likes of a Mary Fowler get her maiden start for the green and gold. She was a player that we've all been watching avidly for years, but towards the end of Alan Stajic's reign, it was fucking, but kind of played out publicly and quite awkwardly in which Stajic had made some comments about Mary Fowler and her family, which then reportedly left the Fowlers out of favour. Um, and it just didn't bode well with them from my understanding at the time. But 
now we've seen her injected back into the fold, into a team that, again, as I said before, hasn't been together for over a year, is under the tutelage of a new coach. Um, but what did you take away from this overall performance? I mean, Gustafsson, he was searching for, for praise because there wasn't too much that he could heap praise on, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, look, very similar to, to Nick, I didn't really have very many expectations of this game, just considering the wildly different circumstances and context from which the Matildas and the German national team came into that friendly. You know, the Matildas hadn't played together for almost 400 days, which is an extraordinary amount of time. And you already, as a national team, don't really get that much time together anyway. So if you throw all these various spanners into the works that the Matildas have had to navigate over the last year, it's sort of miraculous that they were able to get onto the pitch and be competitive for some moments of that match at all. Um, you know, I do think that there were some silver linings that came from the sort of forced circumstances of the moment. And that was, for example, in the 10th minute when Carly Rosbach and the left back had to go off injured. She came into camp already sort of not having played very much uh, in Norway and, and carrying a little bit of an ankle injury. But her substitute was Beattie Goad, who not many people really knew uh, was still kicking around in football, but she's been playing in the Frauen Bundesliga for the last couple of months. She came from Stanford, which is a really prestigious college system over in the US, and she came into that left-back role for her first ever Matildas debut, and she killed it. She had an absolute blinder of a game. She saved probably two or three almost certain goals. We're seeing some of the highlights here. And she slotted in, I think, really beautifully considering those circumstances. Um, she probably didn't expect to play at all in any of these friendlies, but she was able to step up into that role as well. Um, so very similar to that, you know, Mary Fowler was mentioned before. Um, I'm not going to sort of speak to the situation around the Fowlers and, and what happened under Stadge and, and all of that, but I thought she was incredibly impressive in that midfield role. The fact that she's only really been played as a striker in the past, she was able to slot in and show that she has a kind of 360 degree understanding of the field that perhaps not a lot of people knew about before. She's incredibly quick, she's dynamic, she has an insane ball control as well for a young mm. player. Um, and one of the most important things I think about these two friendlies is the fact that the Olympic squad is only 18 players long. So the players that you do take to Tokyo need to probably be quite multidimensional. They need to be versatile. They need to be able to be played in multiple positions just in case we see exactly what happened in this game, which is one player going down and then needing to find a replacement. So I think in that respect, there was a lot of lessons that were learned and Gustafsson said as much in the post-match interview as well, that even despite the result, it's almost ignoring the result. There were a lot of lessons that were, that were taken from that. Some of them were good lessons, some of them were bad lessons. Um, but ultimately, I think the, the aim of these friendlies is to figure out where we sit in the pecking order at the moment and the things that we need to work on in the short space of time available to us before we go overseas to Tokyo. And I think that, that this friendly and the friendly against the Netherlands will accomplish that. Shortly, we're going to catch up with Melbourne Victory star Lisa Devana. But before we get to that, once Lisa's uh, finished getting set up and ready for us, Joe, I want to ask you a lot of concerning things about the performance to take away from this. Let's talk tactics. I mean, I thought we were completely overrun in the midfield. We started off the game quite bright, but we were extraordinarily stretched in defence. Uh, a number of errors made there that you thought were basic errors that we should have been on top of. Uh, but again, we 
put it all into context and factor in the fact, again, the team hasn't been together for so long. Gustafsson, new coach, and we're also up against a highly skilled, qualified team in Germany who have some exceptional individuals. And, of course, they too are the reigning gold medalists uh, from the Olympics. But what did you take away from it tactically? It's obviously too soon to judge what Gustafsson is trying to achieve, but what were the greatest areas of concern for you? For me, we're still seeing some issues in our uh, when we lose the ball. It, you know, as Australians, we've prided ourselves on wanting to be a possession-based team, but we've almost put so much emphasis on that that we, when we lose the ball, uh, and especially with the players like the Brooks and and Magul in midfield, they absolutely killed us in that transition. Uh, it was also worrying when we when we did try to defend higher up the park in that press. Uh, I can remember saying the same thing against when we played France. We were pressing, as we did with Germany, that it was like it was normal defending for them. They're used to that high-tempo high tempo, uh, pressing and defending, and they were able to play out of it. So once they play out of it and we've pushed a few more numbers forward, we start getting very exposed at getting in behind, uh, at them getting in behind our defence. And in wide areas, you know, the Europeans are, are known for their wing play, beautiful uh, at finishing um, you know, as the ball comes into the box and, and things like just basics like, you know, following, tracking your runners, um, you know, those things were, were exposed for us. But it really was, for me, it, it, the positives and I, I was kind of guessing at what Tony was working on because it was interesting that we, once we went that goal, I mean, we started very sprightly. We, we did push on. We played our forward as much as possible, quick build-up and... and um, and and pressed quite high. When we conceded, it almost seemed like there was this sense of we need to consolidate. And we had it looked like a four-five-one uh, a, a lot uh, going into the back end of that first half. And then they began. We began to you know try and um, and then move forward again. So for me, I was actually pleased. That I was thinking Tony Goodstarson talks a lot about game management, and I thought, oh, that's that's wonderful. That's what we need because too often in Australia we're talking about. Oh, we're going to play our way. We're going to play our possession style. We're just going to focus on ourselves. This was actually, I, I was hoping that this was an opportunity where we saw our team change. You know, we started out going for it and then we had to come back again yeah. and we looked probably a bit too quick at, at getting at forward too quickly with counterattacks and found that perhaps that's not our best. But there was some, there were some differences there. So I was really pleased uh, mm. to see some adapting in the game, which we haven't seen yeah. before from the Matildas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but still the same problems in, in our defensive, uh, especially being counted on and getting caught in behind too many times. Yeah, really well said, Joe. And we've done a lot of coverage over the years when we've looked at the Matildas. And I think that's been one of your biggest gripes is that we didn't have enough tactical diversity and adaptability during games, that it was just very one-dimensional and that we were getting caught out. And when we were getting caught out, we weren't actually adapting to our environment and our situations. I want to put the Matildas conversation on pause because the next topic I really want to raise is about building towards Tokyo 2020 and what our expectations are of the team. And it'd be great to have this woman's refresh off a plane after winning a title. She's a record breaker. She's a star. She's a friend of ours here at the World Game Live and I cannot thank her enough for making the time for us here in the aftermath of that hugely successful win. Lisa Devana, champion! Yeah, 
Don't be honest, my friend. Congratulations to you. I'm so ecstatic for not just the football club, but also for you personally. I've said this before when we had you on the show last time, 36 years of age. You are like a fine Malbec woman. You are getting better with age, right? Joey said that she's doing it for the old girls. There is nothing old about you because we never get tired of seeing you perform at the rate that you do. Tell us about your feelings now, the morning after. I hope you're still hungover because you deserve to be after the celebrations I'm hoping you had. But how's it all settling in for you now, Lise? Um, first of all, if I've got a speeding fine, you're going to be paying for it because I've been on the free break just to make this interview just for you, Lacey. So the love, the love is mutual. The love is mutual. Good, so just good. I'll pay that. the bill. I'll pay the bill and I'll claim it on tax. No, it's uh, I just thought it's everything. It's just surreal. I, I reflect back, you know, um, you know, six months ago, whether I was going to play or not, and then signing, and then I had this vision in my head, and and I just sense if we had things like when Jeff named the team, I knew I said Jeff, we're going to win this. I just knew in my heart. I just knew that if I worked with a few things, I knew that when it came to the moment that mattered, we'll we'll, uh, we'll follow through. And and what a fairy tale it was, wasn't it? That's just the last kick of play. I actually felt during the game, it's going to be one of those games that Cindy's going to, uh, Cindy, it's going to score a jammy goal. It's going to penalty. So we're going to lose. We're the team that's performing the best, creating the most chances. But, you know, persistence and resilience is the key. And we finally got it in the last kick. So, I don't know, my head's just still spinning. And no, I did not get drunk. Just not to let you know. I'm a professional. <laughs> I'm a professional. <laughs> professional. <laughs> Zyma, you just won the grand final. Professional. No, look, look. I was. I had a couple of shots. I'll be honest. That was called peer pressure. <laughs> but oh, I love that. Uh, I I get more amusing, amusement watching my teammates be a bunch of idiots and then showing them the next morning. Going, Look at you. He's a bunch of dickheads. Look at yourselves. But actually, we're the other end of it. Yeah, that's right. You've done enough celebrating. Stolage, some questions for the great Lisa Devana. So many comments coming through as well for you. So much love for you, Lise. Yeah, Lise, uh, I wanted to ask a question. Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, support for you, I think, even in the stands. I mean, obviously, it was a Sydney home game, but obviously, because you're a legend uh, of just Australian football, I think everyone is a massive, massive fan of you. But uh, there was this photo that was uh, doing the rounds. Um, which basically uh, it was someone holding up a sign. When I turn 36, I want to be like Lisa, and there you are posing with the trophy. Um, mm. Tell us, uh, are they family, friends? Uh, what, did, what did it yeah, mean to you when you saw a sign like that? I saw that, and I, it was one of my closest friends putting that up. And I'm because I say to her, like, you know, I'm 36 years old, and you, you know, it gets harder. She goes, No, no, everyone wants to be like you. You're, you're Lisa the Bad. I'm like, Shut up, dickhead. So yeah, she, goes, she, uh, she goes, I'm going to make something special for you to, to remember uh, in the grand final. And she came up with this and now it's sort of gone a little bit viral. I, oh, loved, it. I loved it. Oh, we all loved it. We had so much time for it. Sam, some questions for Lise? Yeah, Lisa, one of the things that I loved after the game, you said that this was one of your most enjoyable seasons in the W League and that a big part of that was that you've become quite a mentor to a lot of the younger players. Can you tell us a little bit about those kinds of relationships, particularly with Kyra Cooney-Cross? Oh, put it this way, uh, 
victory need to pay for my psychology bill after dealing with half the team? You had the been... big psychology bill, Lee. <laughs> Sorry? Hey, just like you, Joey, back in the day. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, look how you tapped out the button. Yeah. Good girl. How 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 has done a three sixty, huh? Uh, no, look, it's 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 been uh like I enjoy that because I'm always been someone because people respect me. And I have that demeanor, like people don't really. I'm a little bit intimidated, so they don't really want to back chat me because I'll, I'll, you know, I'll say it how it is. And you know, this season when I play a training intensity, I demand it, and if you don't, I'll I'll pull you up on it. And and that and that was the key thing from day one. And then they realised because they don't understand it when they don't they come from an environment where they don't understand high intensity culture, what it all means. They don't know how do you learn from if you don't have someone to teach them. So that was one of my key things if I was going to come into that environment. Um, so yeah. So and then obviously because Kyra. Um, was having a bit of issue wanting to come to Melbourne Victory. I said, look, I promise you one thing, I'll look after you and I'll make you the best player in this, this uh, tournament. And, you know, we spent a lot, a lot of time in the car and, you know, it was conversations like I'd, she'll come to my house and she'll wait at the front. And I'd be like, good morning, Cara, how are you? Good. In the car. And then we drive and we're like, what are you, what are you getting up to this, this afternoon? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> And then as time went on, I'll be like, good morning. How are you? I'm so tired. And then all of a sudden it started to become a conversation. So she started to get a little bit more relaxed because she felt she can trust in me. And then all of a sudden she's walking in my house and going, oh, can you make me some scrambled eggs and a coffee, please? Get it back in yeah. line, Lee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I wanted her to feel comfortable and trust me because I, I knew that, if I was someone that she can trust off the field, I needed her to trust me on the field when I say, shut up, don't worry about it, just play. And and, and you started to see patches of that. Sometimes she looks at me, I said, don't even start. Just the F and get the ball. You know what I mean? And then she, she and I, I know my method of way of working things is different to normal mentors, but it works with her because um i i got to know her as, as a person and she became part of my family so um and then and, you know when you build a bit of trust up there and then you open your heart to someone it, it's hard to sort of you know betray that you you feel like a bad person so i made her feel guilty so pretty much her success is me building on guilt so she did anything wrong i made her feel guilty <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't care that you're an untraditional mentor i think the influence that you've had on this team the leadership qualities that you've brought as well have had such an impact um we talk about your qualities as a footballer but also your presence on the pitch and now the effect that you've had on a player like kyra cooney cross who of course we're all talking about as the next big thing in australian football has been immense but for yourself in particular i mean a lot of comments coming through for you amazing stuff lisa looking forward to seeing you next season at the victory um you collected your record equaling fifth w league title which is just amazing and you became i mean i hate saying the oldest because to me you are it has nothing to do with age what you're capable of but you became the oldest player at age 36 to feature in a championship match um what's next for you lise what are you still striving towards and i asked the question earlier and sam pointed out rightfully that we've got to ask you this but how much more juice can we get out of your girlfriend 
I don't know. It all depends on um, what Tony wants from me. So it all comes down to that. And, you know, I just have to play it out and just see what happens right now. I just want to enjoy uh, my season with victory and just, you know, soak that up because I actually feel as, as a person I've grown. And I started to start to become a little bit more emotional because we, I started to learn things I didn't think I could as a player at 36 because it's always been go, 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 go. Now I became, I had to understand people's emotions and understand their mental capacity. How much can I push them? How much can I comfort them? How much can they trust me? So I became a different, different person, but it also made me want to work harder for them because I knew that if I worked hard, they will follow. And there was games when I felt flat and I needed them to fall, to fall through and they did. And, 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 that, and that's, for me, is uh, a feeling that I can't even uh, describe to you, girls and Nick. Tony Lalama, when the gun gets tough, call Lisa via Facebook. He says, "Well done, girls. <laughs> Absolutely deserved." One of our top and regular fans here, the beautiful Bianca Petko. Good afternoon to you, Bianca. Great to have you come. She said, "What an absolute legend that you are, Lisa." Um, and here, another one from Vince Pell via Facebook. One of our regular viewers. Good afternoon to you, Vince. He said, "Cahill, Kuehl, Devana, you are definitely in that legendary class." Does this mean that you could be thinking about Olympics? Is that in your mind before we say goodbye shortly? And Nick asks you one last question. Yeah, of course. I'll leave the door open for that. Um, you know, uh, I still have my heart's always going to be for the green and gold. Um, you know, any player in my situation or any player that wants to be in that situation, they're always, you know, you put your hand up for your country. So I'm no different if I was a, you know, Cooney Cross or Lisa Devenna. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. Nikki, one last question before we say goodbye to the great Lisa Devana. Yeah, Lisa, we've been talking about, you know, your time in the league and, and all the great things that you've achieved. And, you, you know, like people are saying, you're up there with QLK, a legend of Australian football. But I just wanted to ask, have you had time to reflect on how, like, the W League and women's football has changed? Even yesterday, you know, it was simulcast on the ABC and Fox Sports and I think all media news at least ran stories on it and stuff like that. 5,000 people in the crowd have had great crowds, for example, in Adelaide. Just how far the women's game has come, even just in your career? Yeah, look, and I, this probably sounds bad me even saying it, but I'm just going to say it. I'm not someone that really gets involved with media and social media stuff, so I don't really know too much about the the whole, you know, the um, crowds and all that stuff because it's never been something that I've been interested in. Um, but in terms of quality, I felt, you know, the start of the W League, the standards weren't quite up to match in, in terms of the ability. But as you can see, when they got a bit more um, time, to, teams got together and started to find their feet, you started to see the level of the competition start to get better and better. And it just makes you question, how do we fix that to make it a longer season? How do we fix it when the season's finished now? What do these girls go to? What is the next path? And that's the that will be the crucial part for 2023. If we don't fix that now, I feel like we're going to fall very, very far behind. And, you know, like I, I think of Angie Beard, you know, well, what happens to her now? Like, is she someone you would consider? Well, how do we keep her in, in a high-intensity environment to, to push the Steph Catleys and the um, carp? and that because more depth in the national team more competition the more you want to work for it and that's my that's my personal opinion and and I think we are still far off from from the top players to the next best players coming through if that makes sense 
makes yes. a whole lot of sense. And I think you're actually speaking to what a lot of us think. It might be your personal opinion, but I think a lot of us in this room and in the wider football community can agree with you. A few more comments for you, just to give you an even bigger head um, than what we've already given you. Uh, <laughs> Bremden Mitchell via Facebook. Can we check Lisa's birth certificate, please? She played with the energy of a 20-year-old last night. Tony Lalama once again, aim to smash the history books, Lisa. You were born to play. Couldn't agree more. Eduardo Andres, he says, extend the season. Absolutely couldn't agree more with that or Hassan Bertan's comment as well make a full season and Ivan Stragan will end on that note Lisa would be the type of manager I'd want to play for you're the type of manager we want in the green and gold you're the type of player we want in the green and gold because you still got a hell of a lot more to achieve before you make it onto the sidelines as a potential manager if that's indeed where your heart lies Lisa Devana you know I love your girlfriend we've got so much time for you thank you for making the time for us fresh off the flight if you get that fine send it straight to me I'll take the points I'll take the points keep me happy all right you're a star we love you enjoy relax take care of yourself in the off season we look forward to seeing what your next move is my friend we hope it involves Tokyo 2020, all right? I hope so too. All right, see you guys. Good on you. Take care, Lise. Um, some fabulous points made there by her, Sam, as we look to transition into our next topic of discussion, particularly with respect to the Matildas. But what she's saying, um, I think we talk a lot about, okay, we need to extend the season, we've got to expand, we've got to do all of these things. But so much of it speaks to what Lisa's saying, and that's the development of our players. Where do they go? We're forcing them into scenarios like we did with, with Polks and co to leave at the time when the final series is upon them. And it's purely because the window's closing and they won't be able to have those opportunities if they continue to play out the remainder of the W League season. It's a real crisis that we're in here because now we're having to let a lot of these players go out into the wilderness off the back of a short professional season. Yeah, and it's a really uh, interesting conversation that's going to be happening between Football Australia and the clubs uh, now that the W League season is over because there is a, a, a big uh, push to have a full home and away season there's a big push to uh, expand the league in terms of including more clubs and just ensuring that, you know, we address the performance gap report that was released a couple of months ago, which shows that Australian players are playing some of the fewest minutes of all of the cohorts at sort of Olympic and World Cup level. So we need to make sure that we actually provide these players with the kinds of structures that allow them to flourish. And so when we talk about, for example, expanding the length of the season, we need to also take into account the fact that there are international transfer windows that overlap sometimes. So that's why we saw Claire Polkinghorn and Emily Gilnick have to pick up and leave from Brisbane Raw before the finals because the season had been pushed back to the point where it overlapped with uh, the, the transfer window opening up in Europe. So when it comes to those kinds of logistical decisions, there are some really specific things that the clubs and Football Australia need to be paying attention to in order to make sure that all the possible pathways that these players can go down uh, can be maximised and that the, the, sort of the integrity of the W League is not compromised as it sort of was this season with the loss of some of these huge players. Um, but even going the other way, like we do have players who want to go overseas and we need to make sure that those paths to Europe or to North America are open for them. But even looking stateside, you know, a lot of the vast majority even of the players in the W League are going to be going back to the MPL. 
they're, that's actually where, funnily enough, they're largely developed as footballers. And so what can we do at the NPL level to ensure that these players are still in, in like high intensity, as Lisa was saying, high intensity, high performance environments where they're still maintaining a, a sort of a chemistry perhaps with pockets of players that they're going to be playing with at W League level? What needs to be uh, improved at the state level in order to ensure that these players are still given the opportunities that their W League colleagues who might be heading overseas are getting? How do we ensure that they're getting highly competitive match minutes? How do we ensure that they're surrounded by the same structures and resources that we can expect professional athletes to be surrounded by? Um, how, are the, how are they compensated at that level? Do they still have to study and work on the side? Like these are all important structural conversations about women's football more generally that the players themselves have no control over. It comes down now to Football Australia and to the clubs and the two of them really need to be having a discourse and a dialogue about this because ideally and ultimately they both have the same aim. They, they both want to see Australian women's, women's football flourish. They want what's best for these players because ultimately those players represent the Matildas and they represent the clubs. And so if they are able to come together and figure out what is best for them and provide them with the structures that allows them to flourish, then I think we're going to see that gap ultimately between the top players that we've got at the moment and the next generation addressed. Joe, these are some serious points that we have to take on board here because I feel like we've been having the same conversation with respect particularly to the W League for a number of years now. It's a broken record that I'm really sick of listening to uh, because we're still in this same cycle, this same repetitive cycle of crying out for extended seasons of more teams. Particularly now, though, as we're building towards the Women's World Cup in 2023, an interesting sliver of information that we heard, Sam and Nick, you both were privy to this conversation um, from a source we can't attribute it to, but they effectively said that when it came to the coverage of the W League, for example, because that topic of conversation came up, that FIFA are paying attention to these kinds of things. So when we have a competition that's not only treated that way by the broadcaster but structurally has a number of issues um, and that's not affording their players the opportunity to develop in the right sense, where does that put us and where do we start in addressing these problems? Well, actually, we're probably fortunate that we've already been given the 2023 World Cup because it certainly um, wouldn't be showing you know, much favour. It's 13 years we've been talking about this, Lucy. I played season one and I remember that it ever since then it's been like, okay, so when are we extending the league? Okay, so uh, when are we going to talk about W League? Because it's, oh, hang on, it's 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 pre-season. Hang on, oh, we started the season. Hang on, we finished the season. And then, you know, it goes into oblivion for the for next however many months. So I think there, there needs to be uh, action done very quickly. And that's a positive of what James Johnson, I think, has brought to uh, the FFA since he's been there is, you know, swift action, very deliberate action. And I'm hoping that he, he again, follows through with this because it, it, it's about time that it needs to just be extended. You know, how many games is it? Six games, I think it is, before there's a full season um, in, in terms of where you fit the season. There is a lot of questions, but it, it, there is some that can be answered and it needs to happen straight away off the back of what is yet another wonderful season um, and it has proven itself. As Sam, you said beautifully, you know, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful product there that just needs to be marketed and needs to be logistically sorted. So um, I would love to see something happen straight away in terms of an announcement, okay, this is what's happening for next W League season and it's and it's on the back, off the back of 
you know, this season. We're heading straight into preparation for that. Um, otherwise, it's just going to be like every other season. We're going to see, um, you know, the finish of the A-League and all the talk then moves to the men and let's forget about the women. It, it, we it can't do that anymore. Not with, mm. on the, like you said, FIFA's looking at us now. Um, everyone's saying that, oh, we want to win the Women's World Cup. Well, that includes the W League. And, yes, Sam, I believe as well that the MPL level now, the, the environments need to be looked at. I think it's yeah. very pleasing, especially Sydney FC, and you feel like what the players that they've been able to, to produce through the MPL is actually a really good sign. So why not, you know, put more of a focus there as well as obviously fixing for next season what should be an extended W League season. Um, and we, it's a great platform here because we do have the local players now that have proven themselves. We can say that's okay. We can have players go overseas because we've got still got a good product here. Let's put our faith in that. Let's extend it and get it sorted straight away. Mm, took the words right out of my mouth because it was going to be a follow-up question, but you've answered it about, you know, do we need to start looking at investing more in the MPL and bolstering that in the absence of an extended W League season? Stolich, I want to come to you because Joe mentioned something quite interesting there about us potentially winning a World Cup. But before we get to 2023, um, as we look to wrap up in the next uh, 10 minutes or so of the show, building towards Tokyo 2020, I want to know from you, Stolich, and I'd love to read the temperature of the room and also our viewers here who are still with us on TWG Live. Good afternoon to you and great to have your company. It's great to be here for a fantastic bumper women's special edition program. But what are fair and reasonable expectations, Stolich, we'll start with you, to put on the Matildas and their upcoming performance at the Olympics? And then we'll talk about 2023 because Joe has always been my barometer in the way of I get very, very excited and she says, hang on a second. Just temper it down a little bit loose. Just calm down a bit because I want you to be reasonable in what it is that you're and, and the pressure that it is that you're putting on this team when you measure it against your expectations. But what's fair at this stage? Well, it's very tough, especially because of the lack of preparation and the issues that we've had in terms of getting a team together. So I think sometimes fans are looking at it, and, you know, we talked about Sam Kerr last week and is she in the top players in the world? And Sam, you said she's top three. She's definitely in the top three. That doesn't necessarily mean just because we have a top three player in the world that we are a top three team in the world. Now, while we all we also had comments last week that said, you know, this team is going to go at least bronze medal. I love that positivity. I love that enthusiasm. And I think that we should be aiming for a medal, definitely for sure. Players should have high expectations. But personally, I think that, you know, it, it's very hard once you get to those top four positions in world football. It's very hard to crack that. And, you know, I think we did well uh, Rio 2016. I thought we were very unlikely to lose that penalty shootout where I think if VAR had been there, you know, a lot of those penalties would have to be retaken because the goalkeeper was so far off their line. Um, but, yeah, as it comes for fair and reasonable expectations, I mean, you've got that the quarterfinal to semifinal stages, I think, where we would realistically be expecting. But that is a huge that can be a huge jump quarterfinal to semifinal. So, you know, I would I would love to see, obviously, you know, a gold medal, but I personally would think if you had to, you know, I had to put my life on it, I'd be saying the quarterfinals is probably where we're going to finish. Hassan Bertan via Facebook. Again, one of our regular viewers who's still with us on the program. Great to have your company, mate. He says, Matilda's fair result is to make finals, echoing your sentiments there. Stolich, Sam. What are fair expectations to put on this team heading up to Tokyo 2020? 
Yeah, I, I think about Tokyo in the same way that I thought about the 2019 Women's World Cup in a lot of ways, which is that we actually need to take into consideration who we're going to be playing against. And we need to remind ourselves that a lot of these national teams have players, all of whom have been playing in Europe. Many of them have been playing together in the same teams, in the same leagues. In the last five years, women's football at that level has exploded. And we saw the result of that because a lot of people didn't realise how quickly things had developed elsewhere in the world when we were beaten by Italy, when we were really pushed by Brazil. Like these are nations that have really started to invest in women's football and I think the expectations that led to a lot of people criticising the way the Matildas performed in France um, are the same kinds of expectations we need to temper going into Tokyo because we're going to be coming up against very similar types of teams. These are teams that have been playing together for uh, quite a long time. Over the last 12 months, they've been playing in qualifiers, they've been playing in friendly tournaments, they've been getting together at club level. They have so many more match minutes under their belt than what the Matildas have. Um, so I think we need to really make sure that we remind ourselves of that. Um, and again, as we constantly say over the last couple of months, that the Matildas are starting on the back foot. They are starting all the way back, further back than perhaps most other nations at Tokyo more generally. Um, and also considering the fact that we've had injuries to players and like just all the odds are stacked against us basically. Mm -hmm. And so if we fall short of a kind of mythical expectation of making this, the court, the semifinals, I don't think that we should be too disappointed because looking at the picture as a whole, it, it makes a lot more sense. Part of why this whole conversation, Joe, makes sense is because I think, and as I pointed out rightfully in the past, in years gone by, you've always been the first one to say to me, just calm down a bit. Because after the 2015 heroics that we achieved, making the finals at that, at that point in time, I think that's when the Australian public, and I'm not just saying the football public, the public started to become aware of the Matildas brand and really enamoured with what they could potentially achieve on the world stage. We don't, and I say this honestly, and factually and respectfully, we don't have the same level of expectations with the Matildas as we do with the men's national team, right? When we go to a World Cup, we're hoping on a wing and a prayer that we get through to the next stage. But with this team, there is an, a universal acknowledgement that because of the talent that we have at our disposal, that we should be doing better. But just how much better is a reasonable expectation? And if we do have high expectations of them, then does the criticism and the, the necessary Necessary pressure towards Gustafsson and co need to follow then in its place. Oh, we're going to win. We're going to win the gold medal, Lee. Uh, Lee, come on, let's go. Come on. What are you doing? Lee, come on, let's get excited. Yeah, no, no, that's full on everything you're saying there. It really does uh, hit, you know, hit home as someone that's been a part of the Matildas for a long time and. Obviously, once you, you really get into how our journey has progressed, it has been a steady incline uh, towards, you know, making that step. As Stolich uh, said, you know, quarterfinals we've made. There was the hysteria around, you know, the previous World Cups when we took that next step um, to make that quarterfinals or one in the knockout round uh, of round of 16 to make the quarterfinals, even though we'd, we'd made them before. But, it, um, you know, that next step to make the semi-final, it, it's huge. And people don't really understand how huge it is. Maybe we, we got a taste of it against the Germans 
because you can see usually there's been the USA, Germany, you know, now you're looking at France, maybe England, although you saw, you know, what USA did to England in the semi-final of the last World Cup. There is huge uh, gaps between, you know, the best of the best and then, you know, when you look at teams ranked, you know, 5 to 10 and then there's the 10 to ten to 20, um, you know, and, and as Sam mentioned too, the game is exploding. Europe is just, the last five years particularly, has just gone wild. So, and then you've got a little old Australia in the mix, you know, <laughs> and we've, we've got these amazing individuals that are, that has been brilliant to see them succeed on the world level. Now we've also got a world champion coach who's taking us to, I, I think we're, we're going to get, um, I, th I think we're going to come close to our full potential here as a team. And that is the unknown with these guys. We've had good individuals, but what can they do as a team? We haven't really had someone that's been able to take them for a long time um, and really move them forward into that upper echelon of the best of the best. It's what we're longing for. I don't know. It might take another generation of players to get there. Uh, that's why I feel like we, we start getting a bit excited too early, that we haven't really progressed and stayed up the be with the best of the best for a while. Um, so that's where my reservations are still around, you know, actual performances, whether we get medals. You, you want to start going into the, the semi-final, well, witness a, a semi-final, which I think Tokyo is a fantastic um, stage to actually have that happen, Lucy, because... We don't. We only have two European teams in there. The the Euro, the Olympics aren't what they used to be. Um, they are somewhat a B tournament compared to the women uh, the women's World Cup. So Tokyo, I I still have a really good feeling here that even though it probably time is still against us in terms of the preparation and how much time someone like Tony has had and and the whole COVID uh, mess of it all, you know it's not ideal and you feel like. Perhaps we do need that ideal preparation to get us um, into, you know, th those upper echelons of, of talking medals. Um, but I think to, uh, Tokyo, I, I already feel like there's a good feeling around what the Matildas could do, but as a precursor to this home World Cup, that's that's what it's all about for me is um, bringing the world to our, our backyard. Um, that's where I want to see us go towards. And I love that Tony Gustafsson, again, he understands that. He understands how much that means to us. That's our big chance. So, you know, I, I'm, yeah, I'm very optimistic, Lucy, actually. No, she's actually <laughs> saying we're going to win gold and you're doing exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> you were telling me to it's shut up. and yang, Lucy. Ying and yang, babe, come on. We've <laughs> been able to balance each other out. Stolich, um, we talk about building towards Tokyo, but I tell you, we don't have a hell of a lot of time to build up to the game against the Netherlands, um, which is terrifying me for a number of reasons. Number one, they actually belted Germany. Well, not belted, but they beat them 2-1 earlier on in the year. That makes me nervous. They are also uh, in the World Cup final in 2019, and they were also crowned European champions uh, in 2017. So we're up against a very formidable side that have a whole you know, array of wonderfully gifted footballers um what's your sentiments going into that and again what are we looking for out of that game that we learned from this game if anything 
Um, I think the first thing to look at is obviously team selection and who he looks to replace, whether he replaces, you know, as many players as he possibly can to get everyone minutes, which is you know, a good strategy to do on one hand. If he keeps a similar team and just replaces one or two players based on injury, then maybe we're getting a bit more of a sense of exactly how he wants the team to play, who he's thinking are going to play in those kind of positions. Um, so that would be a very interesting thing. Again, I would say that it'll be, you know, definitely more about the performance. We'll be looking at, you know, do they do they completely change strategy? What ways do they look at? You know, we're talking about getting exposed on those flanks. Uh, Joe, you were talking about transition moments. You know, do they deal with those things better? And if we can see an immediate improvement in those things, then I think that's a really good sign, no matter what the result is. That's a sign that, you know, that he's able to effectively communicate what he wants to the team and that they're able to take that on board and make those quick improvements. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And that will all come, you know, via the lineup. If he is going with experimentation, is he, if he is playing a lot of players in different positions and trying different things, then again, then it's just him trying to have a look at what he has on his hands. And, and then maybe you're going to get less of a good result but it's still important to do that. So we know, you know, it's all the options we have. And like, you know, Sam was saying, that's a small squad, 18 players. So you probably do need to do some experimentation with playing players in positions that they're maybe not used to. So you have players that can play in multiple positions. So that would be a very interesting thing to look at in the Netherlands game. Do we need to do that, Sam? Um, I mean, I've always particularly been against experimentation when it comes to playing players in different positions that don't come naturally to them, right? Uh, Joe, you and I have had this conversation. I mean, we went, I went in particular on a big rant, you, myself, and the great Catherine Canooley on the show uh, after we got done by England and France in the build-up towards 2019. And I said, you know, why are we experimenting with this squad and treating it like it's a science lab when you've got established players in these particular positions that they're used to playing in and this is what we need to focus on is building stability and the core team. But what we did see Gustafsson do was some pretty unorthodox things. So you saw Hayley Racer playing as a fullback. Mary Fowler was being deposited as a box-to-box midfielder. Then you saw Alana Kennedy when she came on being used at the base of midfield uh, where she does play for her club, uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Um, but are you anticipating more experimentation out of this? And when we talk about experimentation, what are we looking to actually get out of it? Especially knowing that we're in a very unusual set of circumstances and that these aren't our ideal kind of, you know, starting 11s effectively. Yeah, I do anticipate a little bit more experimentation. Um, and, but I think that that experimentation is warranted because we have seen the consequences of just having players who just fit in certain spots and what happens when one of them goes down. You know, we saw in France when we lost Claire Polkinghorne, it had this huge domino effect across the rest of the side. And because we doesn't didn't quite mean, have... Doesn't that mean we just need more depth? Instead of playing a player in a completely different position that's... Well, yeah, it, it, what do you think? It does, but I I mean, again, 18 players is a, is, is a, a very strict number that you can take to Tokyo and... Because of that, you need to make sure that you do have a player like, for example, a Caitlin Ford, who, even though she's in sensational attacking form for Arsenal, also has big game experience at fullback because you know, things need to shuffle around. And we also need to take into account that this is a very compressed kind of a tournament as well. It's not just like one game a week with these kinds of things. They're playing 
games really regularly. They need to be able to rotate players. They need to be able to make substitutions in case there are injuries like we saw against Germany. And we need to make sure that by the time we do reach a potential quarterfinal, a potential semifinal, that we still have freshness in the legs to be able to take on the teams that will be the best of the best. So I think experimentation at this point is is really important. And I think uh, when I think to the Germany game and when I think about what I would like to see happen against the Netherlands, it's actually an attack that I feel like we need to really address some sort of adaptability because we saw Sam Kerr marked completely out of that out game. Of the game. Out of the game. She didn't yep. have a single shot on goal. And because people like us have been hyping her up so much and she's been playing so well for Chelsea, she is a marked woman. She, like, against the Netherlands, I won't be surprised if Sam Kerr starts. I won't be surprised if they mark her out of the game too. And so how does Gustafsson and how does the team adapt to that? Because that is what we can expect in Tokyo. It's what we can expect in India when we go to the Asian Cup. And it's what we can expect in 2023 as well because she is probably our best player and therefore she's the player that's going to be most targeted. And so the purpose of these kinds of games is to try and find ways around that, to try and find ways to be effective, to score goals, to still win games without our best players. Well said, Alec Memes. It's a friendly. It's time for experimentation. Fair point. I take it, but um, I'm very rigid in my view on experimentation. <laughs> Joe, would love to hear you weigh in. I saw you smirk a couple of times when I was going on my rants about it. Um, but what's your view? And only because, only because, like I said, I just find it strange if you're going to play a player completely out of position that comes unnaturally to them. If you're having to fill a void, if one player in that key position becomes injured, if you're having to fill a, of that particular void with a player who plays somewhere else entirely across the park, that to me says there's an issue of depth. This goes beyond these friendlies, and I think I'm probably harking back to issues that we've experienced in the past with this national team where we've done the same thing. Um, but what does it suggest to you? Is it wise to experiment with players? And you're a coach too now, let's remember in various different positions or is it going forward better to have a, a clearer understanding of who you can use in those positions based on what their capabilities are? There is a, there's a couple of stances, Luce, and I know if you were a coach what way you'd be going. And it's a fair question. Um, for me, there's a couple of there's a couple of things here. It's the timing and there's the different types of coaches. So when it happened before and we were experimenting just before uh, the World Cup, wasn't it? And and it was almost like the timing was out. We already knew who we had and, and then it was still things all of a sudden were moving and it, it was almost like, hang on, this doesn't need to happen. But I think now with a new coach, sometimes a coach sees something different in a player. Like I wouldn't have necessarily, I don't think we've seen Mary in a midfield position. Whereas he's obviously seen something like, well, she actually gives us some really good penetration. When she gets on the ball, she wants to move forward. She can run with the ball in tight areas, which Mary was able to do really well. So let's give her a go in midfield. And he's backed himself to make that decision. I thought it was actually a really good move. It gave us another tool. And I guess that's what you're looking for as a coach with a tournament that, yeah, again, limited numbers. You do need a little bit of that extra versatility in each player and you need a little bit of that X factor. I need some unpredictable, um, you know, weapons here. As Sam said, you know, if we put Sam Kerr out there all the time, we know what's going to happen. They're going to just absolutely suffocate her. So we do need other options. Putting Gill Link up there, she ends up scoring two goals because they're like, oh, who's she? You know, she only plays for the W League. 
Oh, hang on a second. The dub, don't cut the dub out. You know. So, <laughs> you know, you know I, I like, and, and I even like Hayley uh, Rasso as that fullback. She gives this wonderful, you know, again, a quick forward option to be able to, to go into that attacking framework. Yes, she got caught out a couple of times in the back line, but those are the types of things that, it, with this type of game, you get exposed. You find out real quick: is this a is this a potential here or not? So I love the timing around this experimentation. Uh, I love that Tony is giving as many uh, players a, a good, honest go and and give them the time. Someone like Beatty Goat, who would have thought? Oh, you don't put don't put a young girl on in, in a debut. You know, sixteen minutes in against the world champion or you know two in the world, and she's mm -hmm. had an absolute blinder. So you know, then some things come off, some don't. But I love the timing of this. I love how he's going about it. He's still using the sense of the game management. What's happened in the game? We've just lost a player. How are you guys going to adapt? Let's consolidate as a team. They did that and they consolidated again. It was only 1-0 until we went into the second half. Yes, they had some chances. But I really like that. When the game, uh, you must say, kind of, uh, you know, we got 3-0 down. Then he started putting more players on, which, again, made sense. Give them the time. So I think this next game, again, will be interesting that he'll go about, I'm hoping, those the same things, the game management. How does it play out? How do we adapt? And then let's give some more people a go as well to see what weapons we might come up with because we've got plenty to use. Oh, we do. And Joe Peters, as always, you are the voice of reason. Always got him to me, you know, and I love it. And I love that, that we've got a different mix of voices that can add to this conversation, guys. We've had a massive program today, and I want to thank you both especially for sticking through the program for this amount of time. We've gone well over an hour and a half today because there's been so much to discuss, and I dare say we could have continued um, because, Sammy, there's, there's a lot going on in women's football. Um, of course, the game, Stolich, is coming up against the Netherlands this Wednesday in the early hours of the morning, 2.30 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. We're very much looking forward to that. that. This is our special edition program for the week. We will be back in our regular time slot next Wednesday from 1 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. For any of those that have just cottoned on to what's happening, of course, Mike Long asking why this is a special program, mate. It's been a special weekend in women's football. Wake up, Sonny Jim. One of our regular Where the bloody hell have you been? And, look, he's all over it usually. Said Michael Long, the Matildas haven't played since March 2020 and Socceroos since uh, November 2019. They need time to get used to each other. Really well said, Michael. Uh, great to have your company in the dying minutes of the program. We've seen a lot that's happened today. Big thanks to Melbourne Victory star Lisa Devana for joining us, also Sydney FC. Player of the match, goalkeeper Jada Wyman. And a big thanks to ESPN Australia's Stephanie Branson, W League commentator, for making the time for us as well. Guys, thank you so much, Sam. We know that you're going on leave my love all the best to you because you deserve a fabulous break for all of your contributions so far so do enjoy that time off joey you're always keeping busy with coaching with joining us on the twg live programs to give us your voice of reason so we appreciate that very much and stolich my beloved colleague and my good friend always top stuff from you so guys thank you so much for stopping by for our special edition program of course you can head to the world game website for all your news-based opinion pieces articles and videos coming through both domestically and internationally but on behalf of myself nick stoll and the entire team at twg live it's thanks so much for your time today have a great week and we'll see you again next wednesday ciao for now